Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Law of Attraction Radio Network, enhancing the well-being of millions of listeners worldwide. LOARadioNetwork.com is heard through 25 different internet radio stations, as well as iTunes Radio, Stitcher.com, and our mobile apps. The Law of Attraction Radio Network, your trusted source of daily inspiration at LOARadioNetwork.com. The words that you speak are incredibly powerful. If you can understand that power and put it to work, you can change your life almost instantaneously. Join Law of Attraction expert, noted author, and empowerment coach, Risha Baker, as she helps you to shape and share your words to bring about great wealth, great health, and great well-being. Here's Risha. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Power Talk. I'm your host, Risha Baker, and thank you so much for tuning in yet again to another powerful edition uh, on today's show, I have a very special guest, Jack Canfield. Yes, the uh, co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul series and America's number one success coach. Um, last time I interviewed Jack on the show, it was last year, a little bit after his milestone birthday, he had turned 70. And we were talking about the power of focus and uh, on today's show, we're discussing the 10th anniversary edition of his other book, The Success Principles, How to Get From Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And um, it's a very powerful book. There's a lot of new sections in it. This book came out about a decade ago. Um, since its publication, um, it was about like 10 years ago almost. And Jack Canfield, um, has a lot of practical and inspiring guide um, and principles in the book. And a lot of it, he, it has helped a lot of people become hundreds of thousands of people achieve success. So this book is fully re revised. And as I mentioned, um, it's an updated version, features about 100 pages of additional materials, including a new section that offers a comprehensive guide to success in the digital age. Um, in the special 10th anniversary edition of his bestseller, um, Canfield, the co-creator of the phenomenal best-selling Chicken Soup for the Soul series, turns to the principles he himself has studied, taught, and lived for more than 40 years. Um, and he shares all of those things in this practical and inspiring guide. Uh, and this will help any aspiring person get from where they are to where they want to be. Now, in this book, it'll teach you how to increase your confidence, how to tackle daily challenges, live with passion and purpose, and realize all of your ambitions. Um, not merely a, connect, a collection of good ideas, this book actually has about 67 timeless principles and practices used by the world's most successful men and women. Taken together and practiced every day, these principles, as Jack says, can transform your life beyond your wildest dreams. 
Um, Jack Canfield is a true master, honestly. Um, he's been doing this for a long time. And uh, when I did more research on his life, I've been following Jack for a long time. Like, as I said, the last time I interviewed him on that show, I followed him because um, I have been read, reading the Chicken Soup for the Soul books since I was a teenage girl. And those books were absolutely amazing and helpful. And Jack says that the, the name for those books actually came to him while he was meditating. He had meditated um, on finding a really great title for this book. Uh, and he just couldn't figure it out. So he asked God to give him a sign during his meditation. So I think he meditated for about four days. And on the fourth day, he saw a handwriting on a blackboard in his vision during his meditation. And it said, chicken soup. And so he was confused at first. And then, you know, for those of you who meditate, you know that when you're meditating, it's a way of listening to God. Um, when we pray, we're talking to God. When we meditate, we're listening to God's message. So um, the voice said to him, well, you know, chicken soup is what your grandmother gives you when you're sick. A lot of people out here are sick spiritually. And so chicken soup for the soul is a fitting title for those who are seeking enlightenment with broken spirits who need repair. Um, so he said that when he came up, when that vision came to him, it gave him goosebumps as well as his co-author and his wife. And obviously years later, it's been a big seller. Definitely has worked lots of readers, lots of books sold. And here we are today, 10th anniversary of the success principles, how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And one of the things that I really admire about Jack Canfield is that nothing was given to him on a silver platter. He didn't come from money. Uh, he didn't grow up in an affluent neighborhood. Um, he struggled scraping by. His father was a workaholic, as he says in his own words. His father was a workaholic. His mother was an alcoholic. Um, his father worked at a florist shop, making eight thousand a year. Um, he himself, you know, grew up uh, working two jobs at a time, making ends meet, um, having to get by on spaghetti noodles, water, some garlic salt and uh, tomato paste for dinner, you know, because he had to pay his rent and obviously eat. And today, as he described, as you will hear a little bit later that, you know, today's version of that is ramen noodles, but he's worked his way up to where he is in life and the success that he has achieved is through um, hard work and determination and faith. And I'm really excited to share this interview with you all because I believe that it is one that is going to inspire and motivate just as the book, The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Wanna Be, the 10th anniversary edition. And this edition definitely has more information and sections in it um, and is written and edited a little bit differently than the original one that was published almost a decade ago.
I'm also excited to announce that uh, I launched my Power Talk video series. And my first episode is about the power of words. You can check me out at Risha Baker TV. Or you can go to my website, RishaBaker.com, and the video is right there. You can check out the first episode. I will be receiving, well, releasing one video per month, uh, giving tips on the power of words and how you can use the power of words in your daily life and different aspects of it that I think will be very useful and helpful. So definitely check that out. Go to RishaBaker.com and uh, check out my first episode of my Power Talk series. It's definitely worth a watch and it's and hopefully inspiring. At least that's the intention. Give me your feedback. Drop me a line at reshabaker.com. Go to the contact page. I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. So let's get into our interview with Jack right now. Jack, thank you so much for being on Power Talk again to discuss your 10th anniversary edition of the Success Principles. Thanks for being here. Uh, pleasure, Risha. Thanks for inviting me. This is the 10th anniversary edition. I know it came out on the 27th. And, well, it was launched, uh, I should say, rather. Um, this must be really exciting for you. It is. It is. It's exciting for a number of reasons. The first book, The Success Principles, which came out in the 2005, was so successful. We got so many letters and videos and testimonials from people all around the world about how it had radically changed their lives. I wanted to update the book and replace a lot of the stories in the first book with famous people with these people who are ordinary people who, as a result of the book, have gone on to do extraordinary things. So literally, people from all over the globe are now the people that are uh, illustrating the different principles of success that I teach in this book. And we've also added uh, three new chapters, um, one on leadership, one on uh, networking, how to be a, a, a better networker, and then a, a, actually three chapters, a whole section on um, success in the digital age, how to use the internet correctly, how to crowdsource and crowdfund and use all of the um, you know, YouTube channels and so forth that are available to us now to really accelerate our success in a way that wasn't even possible 10 years ago. I'm really thrilled. Yeah, you know what, before we go into um, the questions that I have lined up for you, I wanted to just kind of ask you this question about, I mean, you sure. talk about that nothing was handed to you on a silver platter. And, you know, right. that your your, fa your father worked as a florist, you know, making about 8000 a year. And, you know, you, you had to do what you had to do to make ends meet. And, um, you know, I was reading the story about how you were eating spaghetti noodles with tomato paste. And, I mean, you were scraping by. And during that time in your life, did you know that you would one day become mega successful? What was your mindset like during those times in your life? No, I had no idea. I, I, I set out to become a high school teacher. I wanted to motivate kids who were, um, you know, not out of the highest uh, class economically. I taught an all-black inner city school in Chicago my first couple of years, and I became more mm -hmm. interested in how I could motivate them. I wasn't teaching history, which is what I was hired to do. And as you mentioned, I was I didn't get paid very much as a teacher back then, and I was literally eating 21-cent dinners some nights at the end of the month before my next paycheck came in. And it was a can of tomato paste, garlic salt, salt and pepper, water, and a bag of spaghetti noodles. And uh, that's what got me through. Today it would be Top Ramen, what's with the kids in coffee. But basically, it was a tough time. I, my apartment was uh, $79 a month. Had a bed that came out of the wall. 
and you had to take the bed down to get to the closet. <laughs> had two burners on a little <laughs> tiny stove and one of those refrigerators that holds about, you know, like, um, you know, the equivalent of two six-packs of beer. So the reality was it was very challenging. And I just thought I wanted to be a teacher and, and inspire people. And one day I was so successful, the principal said, you need to teach other teachers what you're doing. So I started becoming a teacher trainer. And then after about five years of that, someone said, my husband's company needs what you're doing. And I said, I've never worked in a corporation. I don't know what to say. She said, they're just big kids in suits. <laughs> you know how to work with kids. So basically I went over and taught them the same thing. I was teaching other people about goal setting and visualization and affirmations and self-esteem and so forth. And they loved it. And then when the recession hit in 1993, I switched my whole business over to uh, public seminars in the corporation. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride. And then Chicken Soup for the Soul happened, which took me from making about 140000 a year to making $6 million a year. And um, that was nothing I planned on either. I wanted to be successful, but I had no idea I would reach that level. And um, But now I do, I do set high goals like that because I know it's possible. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's really interesting. I had to ask you that question because, you know, I know a lot of times when we're working towards a goal or, you know, or we're going through a tough time in our life, especially, you know, people who may be listening right now in the listening audience. Um, you always, like most of us usually have a set goal, like, you know, I know I'm struggling right now and I'm going through a lot, but I can see my, I can see the vision of something bigger and brighter for myself. So I just had to ask you if you had those visions of yourself during that time. Well, I, you know, I always wanted to, to do well. I mean, I wanted to have some money and be able to live in a nice house and all that. I, I didn't really set my first goal like that until I was, I, I think it was a mid-1970s, and I met this man named W. Clement Stone, who was a self-made multimillionaire worth $600 million, so he'd be a billionaire today by today's inflationary standards. And he helped me set my first big goal, which was to make $100,000. Now, remember, I was making $8,000 a year at that point, and uh, that was 12 times my income. And so I set the goal, and I did what he taught me, visualized, I did affirmations, I, um, you know, believed it was possible, I acted as if, and, uh, you know, took action steps and so forth. And it was about 30 days into it that I had my first $100,000 idea, which was I had a book out called 100 Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in the Classroom, which I'd written for teachers. And I got 25 cents every time that book sold. So I thought, wow, if I could sell 400,000 copies of my book, that's $100,000 a year income. Now, up until then, my annual you know, book royalty was about $2,000. That was a huge leap. But what happened is I began to get ideas of how to do that and started a mail-order bookstore. So now we only had to sell 33,000 books because we're making $3 a book. And we added other products. And by the end of the year, I made $92,328. And uh, we were not disappointed. Huh. It was like, whoa. Then my wife said, well, if it works for 100000 do you think it would work for a million? So we set that goal. And eventually, when Chicken Soup came out, we reached that. So, you know, it, it's it's I've always had goals, but the real driving force behind things for me was wanting to contribute and make a difference. Right. And and speaking of setting goals, in the chapter you talk about that, um, one of the chapters is dedicated to it. And from the study alone, when I read it, I was really motivated to clearly define my goals um, from now on, to be honest with you, because it was definitely compelling um, information in the study that you discuss in that chapter. I want you to tell us more about specifically um, a goal versus a good idea, because that was a really powerful point. Well, a good idea would be like I'd like to live in a house in Malibu, or I'd like to, you know, 
make more money or I'd like to retire early and live in Hawaii. And those are intentions or good ideas or wishes. They could even be called dreams. But a goal has to be stated in specifics in terms of how much by when. In other words, how much by what date. So I want to live in a 4,000-square-foot house in Malibu on Pacific Coast Highway by January 15, 2017, 5 p.m. Or I want to have a $150,000 a year income by you know December 15, 2015. So you, in my seminars, I'll say, how many of you want more money? And I'll go up to a couple people, give them a dollar bill. And then I go, how many are satisfied with that? And everyone goes, no, I wanted more. And I say, well, how was anyone to know? You just said more money. So you've got to be specific when you set a goal for two reasons. One, it tells your subconscious mind exactly what it needs to, to accomplish so it can start to work on a creative idea to make that happen. And secondly, through the law of attraction, it actually sends out a signal to the universe through something we call the internet, that's I-N-N-E-R, internet, uh, kind of a, a spam filter mm-hmm. to the entire world, or a spam, you know, rebuild the like entire world. And we know that people that are aligned with your vision and goals that can help you achieve it, or would it be supported by you achieving it, will actually pick that up unconsciously and be attracted to you. So, uh, you know, if you call a travel agency and you say, I'd like to go on vacation, they're going to ask you a couple of questions real fast. When do you want to go? Where do you want to go? How long do you want to spend there? How much money do you have in your budget? If you can't answer those questions, you can't go on vacation. So basically, we the goal setting works the same way. You have to be very specific. And I'll just comment on the study you read in the book where this woman named Dr. Gail Matthews up at Dominican University did a study where they had 267 participants, and they had them divided into four groups. The first group was just to think about their goals. The second group was to write their goals down and uh, actually, you know, think about them and write them down. The third group uh, was to do that as well. The fourth group was to write it down and share it with a friend. And the fifth group was to write it down, share it with a friend, and give a weekly progress report to the friend. The group that only thought about it, only 43% of the people actually acted on their goals. The group that wrote it down and, and, and just thought about it and wrote it down got 56% of the people got involved. The other group that shared it with a friend, 64% achieved their goal, and with the ones who did a weekly progress report, 76%. So it was a 33% increase in achievement by writing it down, sharing it with a friend, and being held accountable. That's why I think a mastermind group, an accountability partner, or a coach is very effective in helping you achieve your goals. So we have research now on effective goal setting and goal achievement. Right. Right, and that's why just to just to reiterate that it's so much more important. Instead of saying, "I want to lose weight," you say, "I want to weigh 135 pounds by Monday, 5 p.m. 2016," because mm-hmm. it exactly. it ignites something in the subconscious mind. Exactly, you have to have a specific goal. If you have a GPS system in your car, as I do. Basically, the GPS system knows where you are. That's why it's important to weigh yourself, know exactly what you weigh. And then the GPS system, you put in the destination you want to go to, and then it charts out a map of how to get there. So the destination would not be, I, I don't want to be in Santa Barbara anymore. That would be, I want to lose weight. So you have to say, I want to go to 33 Halstead Avenue in um, you know, Los Angeles. And then it charts a course. And your subconscious mind will do the exact same thing 
but it needs a specific destination before it can work. Yes, indeed. Now let's discuss, as quoted in the book, and I'm talking right now about Chapter 17, Ask, Ask, Ask. It's quoted as one of the most powerful success principles of all, the power of asking. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Sure. The reason I say that is, is one of the things that re is required, a lot of people that are kind of into the secret and so forth, they think they just have to sit around and visualize and believe that they're going to get it. But you have to take action. And, and even in the uh, law of, the word attraction, law of attraction, the last six letters are A-C-T-I-O-N, action. There's a clue there. And so basically, one of the most powerful actions you can take to get more of what you want in life is to learn how to be a very good asker. Uh, in fact, I invented a word a couple of years ago. I said you have to become an asshole. So basically, <laughs> we have yeah. to learn how to ask, and we have to ask over and over and over. So some of the principles we talk about in the book is you have to ask as if you expect to get it. A lot of people don't think they're going to get it, like they ask for a window seat at the restaurant or an upgrade to first class on the plane or for someone to give them a raise or a bonus. But assume you can get it. Ask as if you expect to get it. And you've got to ask someone who can give it to you. One of the things that uh, I teach is if you go into a, a store or you go to the counter, the ticket, you know, the ticket agency in the airport, you say, who would I have to speak to in order to get an upgrade, or who would I have to speak to in order to get a discount on this furniture, or who would I have to speak to? Because they would say, well, you have to speak to the manager. So you want to speak to somebody who is authorized to make that decision, someone who can actually grant you your wish, so you can kind of qualify them. And then be very specific. You know, we just talked about the same thing with money. Be very specific. Don't just say, can I have a raise? Say, you know, I would like a raise of $200 a week or whatever, and the reason I feel I'm justified in asking for that is I've been doing the following things. I'm watching the income that I'm creating for you, or I'm now taking on more responsibility. But be very specific about it. And then finally, we talk about asking repeatedly. Ask repeatedly. In other words, today they may not be able to grant you what you want, but five days from now they might. Maybe you're asking your brother-in-law to join your multi-level marketing company, and he says no, doesn't want to play that game. But three weeks later, he lost his job or he had the new medical expense come in, or his son said, I need to go to private school. So the reality is conditions change, and as they change and circumstances change, and people learn to know you better over time, etc. don't ever assume a no means forever. It means for now. And so, uh, you know, uh, we, another thing about asking that I write about in the book is I have a chapter right after it called Reject Rejection. And the idea is most people are so afraid to be rejected, they don't ask for what they want. And what I teach people is rejection is a myth. The idea that if I ask you, Rachel, to have dinner with me tonight, you said no, and, you know, on, on the air, and we'll go, ooh, Jack got rejected. My life didn't really get worse. I didn't have anyone to eat dinner with before I asked you. I don't have anyone to eat dinner with after I asked you. It only gets worse if I go in and tell myself things like, you know, my mother was right, no one will ever love me, I'm the slug of the universe kind of thing. And so we say when people say no, you say next. There's 7 billion people on the planet that you can make a request of. And we also know that it's a numbers game. You know, I have a story in there about we were enrolling people for my Breakthrough to Success seminar. Uh, we had a phone tree going and people volunteering, coming in, talking about their great experiences and calling up people on our mailing list. And we had 81 no's in a row one night. Then we got nine yeses in a row. Well, if we'd given up after 50 and said, well, it's not happening, we never would have got those nine yeses. So sometimes you have to hang in there and realize 
that you know success in asking is a numbers game and you keep asking till you get a yes yeah yes and you know i i think that's such an important chapter and i do also think it's a really powerful success principle because so many of us are really afraid of asking for help and it is the fear of rejection and intimidation especially i think for a, a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are small business owners and they're working towards building their empires to find mentors or to find people who are of a certain um, echelon in their career it can be awfully intimidating to even think to reach out to those people for advice or mentorship so this is a really great point in the book and i think it's going to help a whole lot of people yeah i really think it's true that you know most people actually like to share their expertise now some people are too busy you know donald trump's probably not going to say yes neither is uh, bill gates but the reality is there are a lot of people who would love to share what they know i love to share what i know that's why i do these calls and write books and so forth and uh, it, it gives them a sense of fulfillment to have a mentor-mentee relationship and watch you go on to be successful. And one of my mentees for a while uh, wrote to Tim Ferriss. He wrote the book The Four Hour Work Week. Well, he's selling more books than I am right now, and so I'm really proud of that because I helped him get there. So it's like uh, mm -hmm. the the reality is that uh, there's a lot of people that would say yes, and so all you have to do is keep asking. One of the ways I demonstrate that in my seminar is I'll have a participant stand up and just go down the aisle, usually about, about two, 300 people in a seminar, and they'll say, do you have a red car? 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 And eventually someone says, yes, I have a red car. And just to realize that's what happens in life. Someone will say yes at some point if you're willing to ask. And there's no reason not to. You know, Chicken Soup for the Soul, which has made me, you know, probably $100 million in the course of my life, has it was rejected by those 144 publishers. And if I had given up mm -hmm. after 100, I would not be talking to you now because no one would know who I am. So hang That's in there. Right. If it's something you want, need, or believe strongly in, uh, go for it. That is so true. That is absolutely great advice. And now I've got to ask you this. We've all heard growing up either by our parents or someone of uh, authority that we need to watch who we hang out with. I know I, I've heard it tons of time growing up from my mom. Birds of a feather flock together. In your chapter about surround yourself with successful people, you provide a really unique perspective into why this is important. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, our mothers used to say, I don't want you hanging out with that crowd or a bad influence on you. Well, that doesn't stop when you're 18 or 19 years old. So people are either a good influence, no influence, or a bad influence. And what we want to do, I always say, you want to hang out with people who are at least one level higher than you in whatever you're pursuing. If you want to be bitter, Start hanging out with people that are hanging out at Gold's Gym or at you know the health club, that kind of thing. If you want to be happier, hanging out with happy people. You want to be richer, hang out with people that are making more money than you. You want to be an author, hang out with people that have already written books. Now, Jim Rohn, I quote in this chapter, says, you're the average of the five people you spend time with, most time with. And we actually did a book, uh, The Success Principles for Teens, and we found out teenagers, if you look at all their friends, they almost all have the same grade point average. So the A students are hanging out with the A students, the B students with the B students, and the, the guys who are getting C's and D's are hanging out with the guys and gals getting C's and D's. So basically you want to step up into a higher group. So if you're making 100000 a year, maybe you want to start hanging out with people that are making 200000 a year. Now, you can do that in person by joining professional associations. You can do that by – I'll tell you a quick story. When I – 
was a member of the, it was called the Association of Humanistic Psychology, people who were kind of into this kind of work back in the psychology days, back in when I was in my probably late 20s, early 30s. And there was this uh, reception for all the speakers. And I really wanted to be with the speakers because they were the coolest people who knew the most. And But I wasn't mm-hmm. a speaker. So you could volunteer to work that event and pass out drinks and cut cheese and you know hand out crackers and, and, and all kinds of you know shrimp and whatever. So I volunteered to do that. And as I was walking around, I actually introduced myself to people. I asked them a few questions. No one got mad at me for doing that. So all of a sudden, I was in a group that was actualizing at a higher level. Most of them were 20 years older than me than I was. And I made some friends and got some mentorship out of that and was able to pursue some of those relationships. One of my friends wanted to hang out with this guy who he knew, knew a whole lot more than him about the insurance industry. He was the number one top-selling insurance salesman in America. And he called him up and said, next time you take a plane flight, can I buy the seat next to you and just sit next to you for two or three hours and pump you for questions? And the guy said, sure, if you're willing to buy the ticket, I'm willing to talk to you. So that's the kind of thing you can do. Uh, one last story with that. I was um, When I started my, my, my self-esteem seminar company, one of my major competitors uh, was a guy named Lou Tice. And he had a place called the Pacific Institute. And he was teaching a lot of things that I wanted to know, but most importantly, he was making 10 times more money than me at a private jet and all that. So I called him up and I said, Lou, the next time you come to LA, instead of hiring a limo, can I drive you around and just ask you questions while I take you wherever you want to go? And he said, sure, kid. (laughs) So I I did. And the next year, we both uh, competed for an $800,000 contract with the Los Angeles County Office of Education to provide motivational training for people on welfare to get them off welfare. And we were the last two finalists, and we won. And Lou sent me a really nice letter saying, you're a damn good student. (laughs) So, you know, it's like all that's possible. You can do that. The worst they can do is say no. You already have a no. can't get worse. Right. And the word no cannot kill you. (laughs) That's what people need to know. That's true. That's true. It will make you stronger, if anything. Yeah, it's really a neutral word until you add stuff like, oh, this is never going to happen. What am I kidding? You know, uh, I should give up now. This is embarrassing. You know, all that kind of stuff. Well, just just keep plowing forward. When we came out with the first Chicken Soup book, I thought maybe multi-level marketing companies would buy a bunch of these to motivate their downline uh, people that are selling their products. I must have called 30 companies. I got hung up on. I got told we don't do that. I got told, please don't call us again. Then a 33rd company was uh, a company that um, basically provided uh, really healthy toys to children. And the woman said, yes, we'd love to see the book. She ended up buying a couple hundred of them and hired me to come be a keynote speaker for the conference and paid me $10,000. So the reality is you just have to hang in there and push through the rejection. I think the universe kind of is testing us. How committed are you? If you're really committed, you can get great rewards. If you're only committed, then you're only going to get what's left over. Yes, that's that's really good. That's really good. I definitely wanted to ask you about this next um, chapter, Inquire Within. And Mark Victor Hansen says, and I love this quote, as soon as you think it, ink it. Um, I really love the the intuition, and really intuition is our instinct, is to sit one in the same, I think. And you talk about that in this chapter. And I think it's such an important part of uh, becoming successful in business or whatever you your endeavor is in life. Can you tell us about this? Inquire within. Well, basically, we all have this function called intuition, 
there's been very little education in the schools about how to use it. In fact, sometimes they get mad at us if we use it. They want us to show our work in math kind of thing instead of just intuitively know we have the right answer. But if you look at great business people, I have a story in there about Conrad Hilton, who would wake up in the middle of the night. He was the founder of the Hilton Hotel chain. And he was buying a new hotel or a new building, and it was a sealed bid situation. He'd wake up in the middle of the night and go, I need to up my bid by $2 million, or not, you know, $200,000, let's say. And, and what would happen is the next day he would find out he won the bid by, like, you know, $10,000. And so basically we have these voices talking to us, sometimes in the form of dreams, sometimes in the form of body mm-hmm. sensations, like we get hair sticks up on the back of our neck, we get goosebumps. For example, when when we came up with the title for Chickens and for the Soul, which turned into a brand, which we sold for ten years ago, I asked God for a title, and I just meditated and waited. And then the third day, I saw a hand come out and write Chicken Soup, and uh, I thought, well, what does Chicken Soup have to do with this book? This is not a book about sick people. And the voice said, people's spirits are sick. Your grandmother used to give you chicken soup when you were sick as a kid, but now people's spirits are sick. And I thought, chicken soup for the spirit, chicken soup for the soul. And then I got goosebumps. Told my wife, she got goosebumps. Told Mark, he got goosebumps. My agent got goosebumps. So those goosebumps were our intuition telling us we were on track. And a lot of people, they've never learned to calibrate their body in terms of goosebumps. For some people, it's a sense of expansion when you think something that's good for you. You will feel your body open up, your chest open up, some energy maybe in your in your torso, or you'll feel a contraction where you're shutting down if you think of an option that doesn't work. So basically, you have to learn to listen. And you know the, the best way to do that is to practice some form of meditation. And um, you know Mark's quote, which you mentioned, when you think it, ink it. When you've got these intuitive hunches, even when they come in a dream at night, we've all had the experience of waking up and then write it down, go to the bathroom, come back, can't remember it. So as soon as you think a good idea, you have an inspiration. could be in the shower, could be when you're sleeping, could be when you're meditating. Write it down because if you don't, you'll lose it. There's a very thin veil between that intuitive knowing side, that inner wisdom side that's connected to, I think, just a higher consciousness and the part of us that is, um, you know. Yeah, and I like the story that you give um, in the chapter two, the example about the the real estate. Well, the guy who wanted to uh, purchase a prime real estate property and was told that there was nothing available in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., he gets um, an idea or a vision or something like that to get up and drive about, what, five hours away? Right. It was Bert Dubin. He he was in L.A. and he drove to Kingman, Arizona, which he'd been wanting to buy what they call a four-corner property. So a four-corner property is when you can have a gas station and mini mall, you know, that kind of thing. And so he called and said, there's no property. But in the middle of the night, he woke up and he just said, I have to go to Kingman. I don't know why. I got to get there. He gets there at 8 in the morning, goes to Howard Johnson, buys a paper, and he goes turns to the real estate section, and there's an ad for a four-corner property for sale. He goes directly to the real estate office at 9 o'clock, and the property's in escrow by 9.15. And he said, well, how is that possible? I called at 4.30 the previous day. So he called the newspaper, and said, they said, well, there were no listings, but last night someone called right at 5 o'clock before we closed the paper, and we purchased an ad, so we put it in. So somehow his intuition, that small, still voice within, knew that. You know, we all have some aspect of what we call psychic ability. It's just most of us have been talked out of it, or we've never trained it, we've never trusted it. But as you begin to distinguish between an intuition and your ego, you can actually get a lot of uh, great information. Yes, that is so true. And instinct is everything. 
Now, I wanted to ask you, and I'm just asking you questions just about by some of the things. I mean, there's so many principles. There's 67 of them and really great stuff. Um, and some of the ones that really stood out to me, I just had to ask you. And this next one is positive money consciousness. They say that there's a secret psychology to money. Can you reveal that secret to us right now? Yeah, basically, you know, money's like everything else. The, the reality is that what we think about it really kind of controls how we experience it. And so we have to, you know, come from a place of abundance. We have to believe that we can have the money we want, that we deserve the money that we want to have. There are all these limiting beliefs that we grew up with. I certainly did. My father would always say, money doesn't grow on trees. I'm not a bank. You know, we can't afford that. You know, how insensitive you to ask for that when, you know, we can't even afford food. And he always said the rich get richer, the poor mm. get poorer. Money's the root of all evil was something that was taught in the church I went to. You know, and, and also my dad believed anyone who had money was greedy and, and manipulative and dishonest. So growing up with all that, you know, I, I almost didn't want to be rich, and then I'd be a bad person. And, uh, I, you know, and, and we grew up mm. poor, so you have to have money to make money is another thing you often hear. So... Basically, you have to become aware of what are my limiting money beliefs, and there's a number of ways to do that. You can just look at, you know, what what do I tell myself about money? You can muscle test. You can take a, po a bunch of, you can write down a, like positive money beliefs, like I deserve to be wealthy, um, and then you can have someone muscle test your arm, and if it goes weak when you say that, it means you don't believe it. And um, so basically, then there are some techniques, you know, like uh, psych K, EFT. Uh, where you can disappear a limiting belief. I actually have uh, emotional freedom technique, EFT tapping, in the book where you tap on these nine acupuncture points while you think about the limiting belief as you say it out loud, you know, uh, I'm, I don't deserve to be wealthy or money's the root of all evil or whatever. And what happens is after about three or four or five minutes, that belief actually will disappear. It'll dissolve. You'll feel it. It's gone. And you measure it on a scale of one to ten and check in and I've, I've watched people literally, I had a guy take my training a couple years ago that uh, read the book, came to my training, named Scott Schilling from Texas, and he was stuck at making about 140000 a year. No matter what he did, he couldn't get beyond that. And so we did this uh, EFT tapping. And we went, what he discovered in the process was that when he was about 24, I think, he had gotten out of college, he joined the same insurance company his father was a salesperson for and his first check was really large because Scott's just a natural salesperson. And so he showed his check to his father. And his father, instead of being like excited about it, just his face dropped. You know, like, oh, I can't believe my son made that much money. And he realized his father was sad that he wasn't making that much money. And he said, I never want to make my father feel bad again. So unconsciously, he decided, I'll never make more money than my father. Now, here we are like 20 years mm -hmm. later. He's in his 40s, and he's still not making more money than his father. Once we unearthed that belief that it wasn't okay to make more money than his father and disappeared it through tapping, he went out the next day, and I think it was in the first five days he made one-fourth of his year's income. And so he went on that year to make over $500,000, and he's had many years now where he's made over a million dollars. So literally, some of these limiting beliefs we have, and I talk about some of them in the book uh, and give examples, and, and, and you, we, we've, you've got to get rid of the, the limiting beliefs, replace them with positive beliefs, and also start visualizing that you already have the money you want using the law of attraction, feeling the feelings you would have of abundance, generosity, 
joy, relief, all of inner peace, all of that. So the whole chapter is really techniques for identifying and dissolving these limiting beliefs about money. Yes, yes, that is so true. I was um, watching an episode, um, I forget exactly what it was, but I was, uh, no, 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 I was reading something where Oprah was talking about how uh, she used to work in these different places and make, you know, not so much money and she realized she wasn't happy. This was way before Oprah became Oprah. And she said something really important that caught my eye, a perspective I didn't think about. She said that she didn't start really uh, bringing in a lot of money until she realized that she needed to change her relationship with money. What do you think about that perspective? Right. Oh, I think that's totally true. I mean, you know, we, we money is so powerful in our lives. I mean, you know, try to live without it. It's almost like oxygen. Very difficult to survive in today's world without money. But we have to realize that money is a servant. Um, you know, money's not a measure of our self-worth. Uh, money is not evil. Money is neutral. You know, just like uh, a gun, uh, you know, it's only if you shoot someone that it becomes bad. It's just uh, a thing sitting there. And so the idea is that, um, you know, our relationship with money is like a relationship with a person. Are we afraid of money? Are we afraid of what it will do to us? Are we afraid people won't like us? If we have a lot, they'll only want love us for our money. I, I had a woman like me once saying that uh, she grew up with a lot of money and she saw how all her friends were jealous of her and so she didn't like money and her father always worked for money and was never home so her relationship with money was as bad and um, yet she was you know the, the daughter of a very wealthy guy but she kind of rejected it all and she was poor basically we've seen a lot of kids who are rich parents who deny their money you know there was one guy i met once who father invented opiophonic print it's the those funny looking numbers on the bottom of your check that look like mm-hmm. uh, you know computer symbols and allow mm-hmm. the text to roll through and get you know um, recorded by the bank very quickly by an opiophonic scanner and he was so embarrassed by all the money that his was getting on these uh, royalty checks he just threw them in a box and one day they weren't able to make their monthly payment a bunch of hippies living up in, in san francisco so he took his box of all these royalty checks down to an accountant and said, how much is in there? And they laid the accountant and said, you got $8 million in checks. I think you can pay your rent. But So some of us deny money. We're embarrassed by the money. Some of us are angry about money. We're jealous of other people who have it. And any time you resent people who have money, you're resenting money. And so you really want to bless people that have money. I mean, W. Clement Stone, who was my mentor, who was worth $600 million way back when, uh, I was working for him in my early 20s, said, if you really want to get in the right relationship with money, go down to where all the people come out of the stock exchange that are multimillionaires getting limos and just say, thank you for being a model of what is, what's possible. You know, Because we were all hippies back yeah. then, kind of resenting people with money, thinking you know, that the military-industrial complex was destroying the world. And so I didn't have any money because of that. Once I realized that money is just energy, you know, it's, it's just stored energy. It allows you to move things. And um, so you know, once I changed my thoughts about it, my relationship to it, and I remember I was in a seminar and we had to take out uh, the largest denomination we had. I was like at a $50 bill or something. And then we had to listen to James Taylor singing, You've Got a Friend. It's that the money was singing to us, you know, wherever you are, I'll come running to you. Remember, you've got a friend. And so, well, yeah, James Taylor's song, basically, the, the, the lyrics are, you know, wherever you are, You've got a friend wherever you are. Just call out my name and I'll come running to you. And we all go, money. And so we were just singing the song, you know, James Taylor's song as if the, the money was singing to us. 
and just creating a different relationship with it. You know, not being upset about it, not being in resentment about it, not being in fear about it, but just, you know, just being, you know, loving toward it and, um, you know, stewarding it, being responsible for it. A lot of people are irresponsible with money. You know, they get a little, they spend it on things they don't need. Um, think of it as your life energy. You worked hard to get it, and so you want to want to treat it with respect, and you want to steward it, and you want to, you know, use it to do good things. Bob Proctor, who was in The Secret, a friend of mine, said once, he said, people without money, the good you can do is limited to where you are personally. But if you have a lot of money, you can do good in Africa, you can do good in Asia, you can, you know, underwrite operations, you can build schools. So I want to do a lot of good in the world. So I love having a lot of money that allows me to do that. Right. And you know what? I think you hit it on the nose, too, when you made the point that money is a servant. And I think that's subconsciously a lot of times a lot of us, you know, kind of act as if we're a servant to money. But we have to remember that money is there to serve us. And so we should act as as if it is there for that purpose, as opposed to becoming a servant to it. Absolutely. And we also have to believe, I think it was uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, my sister was a student of his, who told me that uh, they were thinking of buying the what's now their center in Iowa, and it cost millions of dollars to buy this old university that is now their, 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 their meditation uh, center. And someone said, well, where's all the money going to come from? And the yogi said, well, from wherever it is now. <laughs> I just love that. You know, it's like, it's like if it's supposed to happen, it will, and we can call it to us. We can visualize it. We can believe in it. And let's get out of it about it. Uh, Michael Beckwith, who started the Agape Church, you're familiar with that. He was also speaking. Yeah. Uh, when he decided they wanted to get out of their old uh, digs and get into their own permanent church, everyone said, we can't afford it. And he said, well, yes, we can. You just don't believe we can. So we're going to figure out how to do it. But he kept in that positive state the whole time, believing it was possible. And sure enough, they did it, and they have a great church now. So he had, he had to bring everyone up to speed. We all have like a glass ceiling about what we think is possible in terms of money. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I had one I didn't know. I was working with a guy who's a chiropractor, but he also does uh, consciousness work. And I had a goal one year to make $8 million, and we'd only made six for a couple of years in a row. And I was blaming it on my staff. Like, my staff can't hold this. And he said, well, put your arm out. And so I said, I'm happily making, uh, earning $8 million, and my arm went weak. He said, no, you're the problem. And so uh, he basically worked with me to release the beliefs. And then it was like I could make a million dollars, $8 million, $10 million, $100 million, all the money in the world. It doesn't matter. And I was strong. So I had to release something in me that felt like, you know, it wasn't fair for one person to have that much money and no one else did. And so I, uh, once I released that, you know, we ended up selling one of our companies a year later for $63 million. Wow. Jack, I've got one last question before you go here. For the millions of people sure. who's going to pick up the 10th anniversary edition of the Success Principles, and by the way, thank you for um, including the new section about success in the in the digital age because this is the world we live in currently and you really can't do anything without uh, using some form of technology so thanks for including that in the book what is it that you want those who are going to pick up this book what is it that you want or hope for them uh, to get out of it well I want people to 
basically, I had this epiphany last night. I was sitting here thinking about all this after a couple of interviews yesterday. And I thought, I just had this memory of being in Paris. And I was sitting outside the Paris Opera House. And we were at, my wife and I were having breakfast at one of those outside cafes in the summer. And this waiter, everyone he came up to, he started speaking to them in their language, German, French, Italian, English. I thought, how is that possible? He just didn't even ask them a question. He started speaking. And then I realized everyone was carrying a guidebook, you know, for Paris. And whatever language that guidebook was in, that's the language he started teaching. And I thought, you know, when we're born, we don't get a guidebook for life. And I, what I really wanted to do with this book was really create a guidebook so that everyone would have a blueprint of what's available to you and how to make sure you get it. And so basically, this is a guidebook. It costs $15. And I, I tell people, if you buy this book, I don't care where you buy it from, and it doesn't work for you, send it to me. My address is in the book in the back. I will refund your $15. And uh, that's how strongly I feel about the value of this book. Everyone who ever gets it ends up buying five more for their family, their friends, their kids, and college, etc. So I don't feel you know, unsafe making that offer. But I really want people to know that you don't have to not be successful. There is a system, a formula, if you will, that if you follow, you have to become more successful. I promise people you can double your income and double the amount of free time and have more spiritual fulfillment and inner balance and inner peace in two years or less. Uh, Doug Whittle, one of my friends, now took the training I did, read the book, went home, doubled his income in one year, doubled it again in the next year as a builder up in Canada. And I could tell you story after story like mm -hmm. that. So I just want people not to live in resignation, not to live in fear, not to live in resentment and jealousy, to be able to go out and know that nobody, I don't care where you're starting, how low down the totem pole, you can achieve anything you want. You could be homeless. And in three years from now, you could be running a, a major corporation. So the reality is I don't care what your wounds are. I don't care what your beliefs are. I don't care what your handicaps are. I can tell you a story of someone just like you who overcame that and became successful using these principles. So that's what I want people to take away. And as far as getting the book, just go to thesuccessprinciplesbook.com, and you can buy the book through that little portal at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and you send us your receipt, and we're going to send you a whole bunch of, of support. There's a video training, an audio training. You get the first two chapters of the book. You can download it the very day you order it, even though you won't get it for a couple more days in the mail. And you'll get registered for our easing, and you'll get registered for our 10-day uh, success principles transformation, where you'll get a video every day that walks you through one of the principles for the day. And we've had people make transformations just off mm. the 10-day video. Wow. That's incredible. Jack, I know with the launch of your 10th anniversary edition of the Success Principles, I can imagine how busy you've been since this launched. And I just want to thank you so much for making the time to be on Power Talk. This was amazing. Well, I always love talking to you. So anytime you invite me, I will come. What an awesome guy and an awesome interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it and took a lot of information from it that can be helpful in your own life. The Success Principles is not just about business. It's about your life in general, in any course and direction and endeavor that you decide to take with it. You can find a lot of information, a lot of helpful information in the book. I've read it and it's definitely chock full of all kinds of wonderful uh, principles that you can practice and is definitely food for thought. I would say that for sure. Um, don't forget, everyone, please go ahead and check out my first episode of Power Talk, episode one, 
the power of words. I talk all about the power of words and energy. It's not a radio show. It is a video, an actual video, uh, where I am talking about the power of words and giving you some viable information and tips about how you can go about speaking more impeccably. Go to my website at reshabaker.com or you can check me out and other interviews that I've done so far on Risha Baker TV. Just Google Risha Baker TV. It should pop right up. And if not, check me out at reshabaker.com. And remember, folks, live in the present moment. You can only speak in the present moment. That's when you catch yourself and you're able to choose better words. And I like to leave you with the prayer. And I got this prayer from my meditation. It just kind of came to me. I think it's so powerful and it's so fitting for power talk. God, please guide my tongue to say the right thing at the right time with the right heart and the right mind. Amen. I wish you all a great week and all the best in all your endeavors. And until next time, stay well, be well, and I'll talk to you guys again real soon. Love ya. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Power Talk. Risha will be back next week with another Power Talk episode. For more information on Risha Baker on empowerment coaching, go to RishaBaker.com. See you next week.
see trees of green Red roses too I see them blue For me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow. So pretty in the sky Are also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do They're really saying I love you I hear babies cry I watch them grow much more than I never knew and I think to myself what a wonderful world yes I think to myself what a wonderful Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.